I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. My goodness, it sure is nice to see you all again. I know it's been a couple weeks, and let me tell you something. It is cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. You know that song? If you don't, you're missing out. Baby, it's cold outside. Baby, it's cold outside. So, 25 degrees Fahrenheit. For you folks who aren't here in the United States, that's negative 4 degrees Celsius outside right now. And yet, every time I go out there and uh, parts of my body want to shrivel up inside of me because it's so cold, I have to tell myself, it is still 15 degrees warmer than it was on the first two days that I was out on my big, epic backpacking excursion in the backcountry in the mountains last week. That's right. 10 degrees Fahrenheit. So, 15 degrees less than it is tonight. That's 25 degrees Fahrenheit, negative 4 degrees Celsius out there right now. 15 degrees less than that during the days, the first two days. So forget about the nights. It was a lot, lot colder in the nighttime. And yet, we had a really good time. Um, Stayed comfortable for the most part and just had an epic adventure out there. But I'm happy to be back. The day before we come out of the woods, we got lost. I mean, we got proper lost. The diff- the only thing making it not proper lost, I reckon, is that I had a map. And I could see it was a topographic map. And I knew where we were on the map. We just couldn't find this trail that we really needed to find. And so we ended up bushwhacking uh, without a trail. So just going through the woods without a trail. And here's the situation, by the way. Everything's covered in snow. And so you can't see any trails. <laughs> Very hard to see trails very hard to see any markers or anything like that but on the topographic map I saw that we were right on the edge of a saddle Uh, a saddle is where two you're right on the edge of a holler a big um, ravine let's say you know where two mountains come together and that that dip down between the two mountains so we were standing right on the edge of that saddle and I kept telling my buddy because daytime was getting long in the tooth and I knew we weren't going to make it where we were trying to go. I told him, (laughs) 
several times I said I I don't want to go down into that saddle I knew that first of all when you have to hike through snow it's exhausting it uh even if you're wearing like uh, Gore-Tex boots or something like that eventually the snow will break through your your boots and uh, so your feet are cold uh it's taking a lot of energy just to keep your body warm and all those things and i knew that if we went down into that the saddle between those two mountains that was going to suck up just all the energy we had and so we were going to end up hiking through the dark by the time we set up a camp we were just going to be busted and just exhausted and i just really didn't want that so i i kept telling him i don't want to go down in that saddle i said i'll tell you what we can do i said we can skirt around it we can just bushwhack and skirt around it and he says well let's do that and i still i wasn't looking forward to that either because you're just crunching through it's just a lot of work a bushwhacking is a lot of work and it's a lot more work whenever they're uh your ankle deep in snow and um, and all that but we did that and as we were bushwhacking i saw a geographic landmark a mountain that i recognized and i said i we need to be closer to that so we bushwhacked closer through the mountain through the woods closer to that and lo and behold as we were doing so we crossed we, we come into contact with the trail that we had been that had been lost to us the whole day and so it's just it was kind of like we made all the right decisions to end up there uh, boy there's a lot of comparisons you can make with emotional health to that too couldn't you kind of flailing about but making the right decisions while you're flailing about and in an ending up where you want to be and so we got the trail uh we never did make it to where we wanted to be that night so we ended up having to create we just picked a spot out in the woods around no water and we just created a camp here spent the night there and uh used snow for our water so we melted snow by our our fire and had water all night and the next day to get us out of there so there's kind of a little rundown of my story of course if you want to see the whole thing in detail you can subscribe to the practical woodsman that's my other identity my other channel on youtube and rumble and uh, i've been posting footage of all that there on that that other channel let's do some announcements then we'll get talking about emotional health stuff announcements number one thelastsymptom.com that's my website full of paid and free resources go take advantage of both of them the paid resources of course financially support what I do here I have an online community of a thriving online community over on the locals platform so you can join by going over to thelastsymptom.locals.com or by downloading the locals.com app from the app store that's l-o-c-a-l-s.com and then you once you open up the app and sign in you just search for the last symptom by brian barnett remember i'm doing live streams every monday we do monday live streams on our 
last symptom community online community there on locals it's exclusive to locals you get personal direct interaction with me during those live streams so it's something you might want to do um orange slices do you remember what those are those are condensed video insights that i publish daily most days uh, i usually don't post them on thursdays and fridays and saturdays and sundays because new episodes of this show come out on thursday or friday and i don't want the orange slices competing with the brand new episode so uh orange slices they're still i'm still publishing them daily so if you want to take advantage of those daily condensed video insights subscribe to me on subscribe to the last symptom on youtube on rumble or become a member of our group there on locals they have the best experience that community there of course one of the paid resources over at thelastsymptom.com is the two-week intensive the last symptom fundamentals pre-recorded course which is a video program i'm the presenter and i present uh the entire program using a kind of a powerpoint type presentation and um people by far by far most people who take that that course come out changed singing its praises never looking back at life the same as they did before they went in and today i wanted to share with you that i got somebody who uh communicated with me who was considering taking the last symptom fundamentals course and she called me and she wanted to know if i could provide her with notes for the entire two weeks of that course <laughs> so i messaged her back and i told her that I strongly recommend note taken during the course. In fact, it's a kind of an integral, uh, necessary part of taking the course is that you should be prepared to take notes. She says, well, I'm not sure about that. Not sure if I want to take notes. I think if I'm paying for the course the, the, uh, that you should just provide the notes for me. Well, <clears throat> what do you think I told her you think I said yeah well you just go ahead and take the course I think it's going to do you all kinds of good no I didn't tell her that you know why because I don't think that even if she did take the course it'd do her any good why not because the woman is so uninvested in herself that she can't even bring herself to take notes. Taking notes is too big of a chore for her to invest in. For a program that could literally change her life around, but she doesn't want to take notes. So, I don't want her taking my course because she's going to take the course it's not going to do her any good and then she's going to blame it on the course isn't she yes that's what's going to happen not going to do the things she needs to do to get better and she's going to point the finger at the course and say it's the course's fault 
how people who are being like this can think that they are ever going to eliminate their emotional disorder when they're not even willing to put in the bare bones minimum effort for themselves is astonishing. So she's got the Rosetta Stone mindset. You know that? You ever hear of Rosetta Stone language learning? How do they advertise their programs on, on their commercials? Do you remember? They say, you don't have to do any hard work. You don't have to do any pointless memorization, they say. And by the end of it, you will magically speak a, uh, another language. That's, their, that's the thing. That's, that's how they sell every one of those programs. I've never met a person who has learned a language for real by using Rosetta Stone. And yet, the Rosetta Stone language packages are among the most expensive out there. Their whole marketing strategy is you won't have to do any work, but at the end, you'll magically be able to do this thing. I don't know how they can get away with it. Honestly, to me, that should be illegal. It should be illegal to make a claim like that. But they make the claim and, you know, people just snatch those language, that Rosetta Stone language learning stuff up left and right. Um, I will tell you this, that if you want to learn another language, there's no getting around memorizing. There's no getting around memorization. You have to memorize. You have to sit down and memorize vocabulary words. You just have to. So... They, they really, they lie to you. But this woman kind of has that same mentality, doesn't she? I just want to pay $500, she's thinking. And then I want the, the program to do it all for me. I want At the end, I want to be magically cured of my emotional disorder. Is that ever going to happen? It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Believe me, if I could tell you that that could happen... I would tell you, and I would implement it into my program because, of course, I want to make my finance, I want to get my financial support from that program, and I want as many people as possible to take it. But I ain't going to lie to you. And I don't want insincere, unmotivated people taking it either, so that they at the end can just turn around and blame all of their failures on the course something to think about the course can change your life but you have to be motivated you have to be taking the course for the proper motives for the pro- proper reasons and um, you have to be at a place in your life where you're willing to you're 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 really wanting to work on yourself for yourself then it can do you lots of good but if you're just somebody who thinks you're going to pay me five hundred dollars and I'm going to magically cure you the, the you know the Rosetta Stone method when you're out of your mind it doesn't work like that and you, you're, you're not at a place yet where anybody can help you let alone me so you need to you need to adjust your attitude a little bit before you can be at a place where anything can help you 
as a retired linguist myself, a interpreter, professional interpreter, the Rosetta Stone. Now, not the not the commercial language learning group, but I'm talking about the literal Rosetta Stone. Did you know that it's a real thing? Yeah, it's an actual stone. That is very fascinating to me. When I was a kid, I went through a period of um, being fascinated by code breaking, uh, by taking ciphers and codes, not having a key or any way of uh, discerning what the code or the cipher said, and then sitting with it and looking for clues about how to break that cipher. In other words, how to take a completely unintelligible message and break it so that I could read it or a code same same way and there are various tricks that you can do uh, for that and I'll tell you the book that got me into that it was a book called Alvin's Secret Code about a kid who finds a code and brings it to his grandpa and his grandpa was like a famous cryptologist uh, that's what they called code breakers uh, back in the day cryptologists I believe and um, the grandpa can't break the code. Nobody can break the code. And by the end of the book, this kid ends up doing it. He ends up figuring out the solution to being able to read this encoded message. So that really got me fascinated by those things. And for a long time, I went through this period where I would challenge my friends. Uh, I bet you, you can't get write a code or a cipher that I'm unable to break. Man, people would challenge me all over the place. And I was, I'm very proud to say that there was never, I was never presented a code that I didn't eventually break. That was when I was a kid. So if I had gone into that line of work professionally, I think, as a grown-up, I think I would have done quite well in it. Although, it's gotten a lot more complex these days with computers and stuff. I mean, that I believe there are unbreakable codes without uh, some kind of electronic key. So maybe not. That might be my romantic notion of that might be outdated. But what I wanted to tell you about this Rosetta Stone, there were several ancient languages that were just lost to time. Uh, A couple of ancient languages that were just lost to time. So archaeologists and scholars, they were at a complete loss. They couldn't read them. They couldn't read when they would find archaeological finds and stuff like that. They couldn't decipher uh, these languages, and they were at a real loss. And even what they thought, even when they would find these things written in these uh, ancient lost languages, they might have theories about what it said and and things like that, but they they couldn't know for sure until they found the Rosetta Stone. And the Rosetta Stone is a big stone tablet, and upon it, were written, were written the th- three messages in three different languages. So the same message was written three times upon this stone, but in three different languages. The exact same message was written upon the stone three different times in three different languages. And one of those languages, I believe, was Greek. And that is how 
that became the key to understanding those lost languages. Because if you've got, I, I believe it was Greek, if not, it was another language that scholars and archaeologists were already familiar with. If you've got a message written in, let's say, English, and you know you have that exact same message written in Swahili, then a skilled linguist can study the two side by side and can deduce every word in Swahili even though he doesn't speak Swahili he or she so isn't that kind of cool and uh, th that's kind of how cryptologists work too you find you find just a something that reveals to you the meaning of a thing within the message and from that you expand upon it until you understand the entire language very fascinating anyway getting off on tangent there with uh, the Rosetta Stone but if you don't know anything about that that actual stone it's worth doing some research on it's just a fascinating it was a fascinating discovery a real treasure chest to find that because it it then opened up understanding of the ancient world and of these ancient languages that um, archaeologists and scholars and stuff like that just had no way of ascertaining Let's talk about happiness. Now this, I think, was part of an orange slice I did way back when I first started the orange slices, but I don't think we ever talked about this in the show, in the, the our primary show here. So I thought that this would be a good time to do it. Talk about happiness, and what we're going to talk about specifically is 20 signs you're not really happy even if you think you're happy so a lot of folks that I talked to and even me in the past I believed I was happy uh, while I was living with an emotional disorder why did I believe I was happy because when you've never been happy inferior uh, approximations seem the same to you like how would you know if you've never been content for real how would you know what that's like you don't so when you you know <clears throat> when I was unhealthy I reckon that uh, my idea of being happy was the absence or the law you know the um, a break in conflict and and frustration so if things were going along pretty good in my life, it seemed, I said, I'm happy. And that's not happiness. Happiness is not just the absence of frustration. So I wanted to go through this list of 20 things that indicate you're not really happy, even if you think you are. Before we get into this discussion, I do want to acknowledge you folks out there who are experiencing depression this time of year it's a common thing um, for a variety of reasons <clears throat> it's a lot less daylight and that can affect even the the healthiest of us you know it's a it's a physical reaction 
to less daylight. Affects a lot of people. I know it's right now, you know, getting dark at like five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, the days are gray for the most part. So I wake up, it's gray. I start doing my stuff for the day and I look at the clock and it's getting dark already. Not even five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, that'll take its toll on me eventually. That's usually why I like to take a vacation right around Christmas time or New Year's. I like to to mix things up a little bit so that uh, the drudgery of very, very short days and very little sunlight gets uh, kind of mixed up and, and I can get out and be outdoors more and those sorts of things. Of course, coming back from this backpacking trip was just wonderful. Oh man, I tell you what, it was cold out there. Parts of me withering up and (laughs) withering up and disappearing inside my body trying to hide from the cold, but I don't care. Just getting out and feeling alive, you know, doing something different, being active in the, out in nature so wonderful that kind of has lifted me up from the drudgery of this time of year anyway I I simply want to acknowledge that there are a lot of folks out there who are depressed this time of year Uh, just talking to somebody who I I really care about a lot who's a she's a member of the last symptom community I've known her been talking to her for many years now and uh, and I care about her and she's telling me that she's going through this depression you know I'm, I'm limited about what I can do about that it's uh, it's mostly up to her figuring out figuring out what her feelings are trying to tell her and what she can do about it she needs to do that uh, she needs to do some other practical things to lift herself out of that state um, it might be as simple as starting to go to a tanning bed you know, uh, I think I mentioned to you folks in the past, I'm not opposed to that. I, I have done that. Um, going to tanning beds in the wintertime, not beds, I don't like lying on those things, but uh, like booths, you know. So getting all naked and climbing into a booth and just standing in UV light for eight minutes, nine minutes, it can really lift the spirits. In fact, getting a little collar to your skin can really lift your spirits. So what I, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, <clears throat> I just want you folks to know that uh, it's not lost on me that many people this time of year, for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, my, my good old buddy Jordan, my late buddy Jordan, who died in the car accident all those years ago, <clears throat> this time of year is very hard on his mother. She's the only remaining one alive. His dad's gone. His brother's gone. And it's just Judy. And all of these deaths kind of happened around this time of year. Right when the there's less sunlight, days are shorter, it's cold, it's gray all the time. Um, what do you reckon that her depression is trying to tell her, her feelings? What's the message? What are they trying to tell her? They're trying to tell her something that is unfixable. 
They're trying to tell her a thing that is unfixable. So there's no solution where she listens to her feelings and says, okay, well, I just need to do this and this and this, and it'll fix every all of the causes for me feeling this way. There is no solution. Her solution is to wait patiently until the day she gets to see her family again and to live life and enjoy life and, and make the best of life in the meantime and to be positive, think positive things think in positive ways but as far as her listening to her feelings and saying you know what are my feelings telling me and why are they telling me that what's the answer going to be my feelings are telling me that I've suffered great losses in life that the people I really really love and have spent my most of my life with are no longer here that's the message what's the solution there is no solution right now like I said uh, the solution is not to like you know she's gonna get to the bottom of why she feels that way and then there's something she can do about it as far as undoing the causes of those feelings there's no undoing it acceptance is the answer you know so I kind of just described that looking at it and saying well there is no fixing that but accepting that it's okay to feel that way that it is um, that those feelings are completely natural that they make sense and then it's just a matter of where her hope is for the future of course I happen to know her really well I know that she's a God-fearing person she believes in the promises that the Bible gives us about the future and so she she does live with a lot of hope but it doesn't take away current realities does it doesn't fix current realities it just gives you something to look forward to and a reason to uh, be positive despite all the unhappy feelings so for those of you who are suffering from uh, depression this time of year uh, that's the that's the thing you need to do too. You need to sit, listen to your feelings. Uh, first of all, allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, and, and then you gotta say, well, what are, what are my feelings trying to tell me? In your case, in your specific case, it might not be um, a situation where there is no answer. It might be that you you need somebody to talk to. In that case, there are solutions, aren't there? There are practical things that you can do. You can call up family. You can call up friends. You can uh, be proactive and go out and meet new people. Um, I always recommended, like, um, it, it, when I, I remember when I moved to uh, New England, I didn't know anybody in New England. You know what the first thing I did was? By the way, you talk about gray and dreary and cold and not enough sunlight. <laughs> Move to New England. I'm telling you what. Summer, I think, was the, the nicest two days of the year there. <laughs> the rest of it was just never enough daylight. Always too cold and, um, and things like that. But that, that was one thing I did. I uh, 
first thing I did was I, I got familiar with the local library and um, started going up there and talking to the uh, librarians up there, making friends with them. Of course, they were all, most of them were a lot older than me. But, you know, what does age matter? You're just looking for fellowship and good conversation. And, you know, too many people, I think, limit themselves to friendships within their own age group. I personally happen to love hanging out with 80-year-old ladies in a book club at that library. So that's what I did. I, I found out that they had a book club there. And um, I joined that book club. And so then it was like once a week, I think, we would meet over at that library. In, uh, this was in Smithfield, Rhode Island. And I'd hang out with these ladies at the library. And I'd read the books that they wanted to read that I hated. Uh, and actually, when I joined the, the book club, they let me recommend the very first book to read after I joined. And I, I recommended um, uh, the Stephen King book. The, the sequel to The Shining. What was it? Um, Dr. Sleep. That was the book. Yeah, I recommended that. And so, you know, all these old ladies are probably not big Stephen King fans. They all read that book, and then we got together. We talked about it and everything. And, of course, then they recommended a bunch of books that I didn't want to read, really, that I wouldn't have read on my own accord. But but I read it. I read those books, and it, it, it got me close to these people. Um I created friendships with a lot of old ladies, and it was wonderful. Kept me out of, you know, remember during that time was the deepest, darkest, gloomiest time of my life because I was just starting in my own recovery. I just lost everything in my life. Didn't know anybody. I just moved to a brand new area chasing work. Didn't know anybody. And um, and that helped. But you see how I was proactive. I, I wasn't just going to sit around and stew in my misery by myself even at that early time not understanding why I was feeling what I was feeling I didn't want to just sit and stew I wanted to be proactive and and do practical things that I could do to not remain in that state so something to think about <clears throat> might be as easy as some phone calls a regular visit with some friends FaceTime a new hobby, a new interest, getting out of the house, exercise, and even eating right. How about sleep? Are you sleeping right? You know, if you're not sleeping right, do you understand that that will affect everything else? In fact, folks who come to me and say, you know, I'd really like to recover from my emotional disorder. Um, can I get started in your like last symptom fundamentals course and all that? And and then they tell me, I don't sleep. I sleep like two hours a night. I said, well, that kind of has to be addressed first, wouldn't you think? How are you really going to be able to take advantage of something uh, like an intensive course about how to rid yourself of your emotional disorder with no sleep, with no rest? Your, your mind is not going to be functioning at a very good capacity. It, if you're deprived of all this sleep so really we kind of need to get the sleep thing under control don't you think and then once you're well rested and you're sleeping better 
that would be the time to do a, a really studious two-week intensive course, don't you think? Because then you'll get the most out of it. I hope you see, folks, that I'm not offering any kind of like super insight that is uh, mind-blowing in its intelligence. The This is common sense stuff. So often when things seem very complex maybe you're making them complex maybe it's not a matter of me being so super smart maybe it's a matter of me being able to to shove away stuff that are just needless stuff that is complicating what is very simple and so that is a skill I would like you to try to work on too remember one of my one of my uh, ongoing uh, key expressions I reckon my, my brain's not working tonight um, is simplify 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 right things are complicated you're probably the one making it that way simplify it if you're depressed and you're not doing the practical things that you can do you're not being proactive and doing practical things that you can do to get yourself out of that state well what am I going to do for you <laughs> except for maybe help you simplify listen to what the feelings are telling you try to understand what they're saying about your needs and then give yourself that In the case of Judy, Jordan's mom, like I said, there is no easy solution. In that case, it comes down to acceptance, endurance, and patience. Patience for the day when she'll see her sons and her husband again. But in the meantime, she has to think positively. She has to pay attention to what she's thinking and how she's choosing to think about those things. Because when when we are depressed or we're unhappy or feeling down the tendency is to feed into that the the tendency unfortunately is not to to recognize that that we ourselves are feeding a lot of that and to and to starve it that's not the tendency that's what we can do but that's not our tendency the tendency is to feed that monster more and more and more. How do we feed the monster? With what we choose to think about and how we choose to think about things. It's the easier thing to do, but it's not the right thing to do. Anyway, again, I got off on a big tangent there, but it was because I was thinking about you folks who are feeling down this time of year and my heart goes out to you. And it's a bad time of year to be down <clears throat> and I'd like you to do what you can to pull yourselves out of that 20 signs you're not really happy even if you think you are number one you do not catch yourself more frequently thinking about and feeling grateful for the small positive things in your life then you spend 
time thinking negatively. Kind of ties into what we just said, doesn't it? So remember, these are 20 signs that you're not happy, even if you think you are. And this is for people who say, I'm happy. Even with my emotional disorder, I'm happy. These things prove you are not. So what is number one? Instead of most of the time sitting around thinking grateful, positive things, most of the time you're sitting around thinking negative things. That's number one. Number two, other people's preferences, when they're different from your preferences, annoy you or make you angry. Other people's preferences, when they're different from your preferences, annoy you or make you angry. That's the number two sign that even if you think you're happy, you ain't. Number three, you're not content being settled for very long. So as soon as you accomplish something or you've bought something that you really thought you needed, it's not long before the pleasure of it wears off and you're craving something entirely new or different. And that reminds me of when Diana, my ex-wife and I had just bought a, a new house in a beautiful neighborhood there in Hatboro, Pennsylvania. Complete, I spent an entire summer renovating that house from top to bottom. Top to bottom. I'm telling you, we gutted that house. And it was a, it was an, a project I worked on all summer long. I had a vision for how that house should look. As soon as I saw it, I had a vision in my mind of what it could be. We bought the house, and then just all summer long, I was working on it, renovating that house from top to bottom. And I made that vision a reality. Man, completely, completely transformed that house. Kitchen with all stone tile and brand new cabinets and backyard with this beautiful patio and a just uh, I completely tore off the back porch, completely rebuilt that. Um, stripped and repainted every room, redesigned every room. Uh, tore out the entire bathroom. The entire bathroom gutted it. Put in a brand new tub, shower, um, natural stone tile everywhere. Just worked that house up and down. And then by the, the second year we were there, I remember lying in bed talking to her, saying, you know what? I have this dream. I have this dream of having like a, of us selling the house, moving out to the country somewhere, and we'll start a dog kennel. And I'll tell you, I just, I just finished reading a book called um, Edgar Saltel. Edgar Saltel. Uh, and it was all about it was Hamlet is what it was it was a remake of Hamlet but with uh, on a farm and this family creates a brand new breed of dog called a Saltel dog and I think that was the most fascinating part of that whole book for me was 
seeing the process of breeding over generations at creating something new as a brand new breed of dog everything it really goes into good breeding you know really understanding dogs really focusing upon them as individuals and playing off their strengths and stuff like that uh, calling uh, that's c-u-l-l-i-n-g and it's uh seems barbaric to people who are sensitive but it's where you take the weaker animals and you you uh you end their life so they can't then contribute to the gene pool anymore and as barbaric as it sounds that's how you end up with with uh the best animals over time so it was just the whole thing was fascinating to me and i just read that book edgar saltel and i had these dreams like i i saw this is possible if i really want to do this we could do this but we had just we had just built basically i mean completely renovated our dream home in our dream neighborhood we had everything and life was so good and calm and here i was lying in bed wanting to upset all of that and sell everything uproot everything and go start a dog kennel and start trying to breed my own dogs what was that a sign of <clears throat> it was a sign of that i was not happy something inside of me was was nagging at me i was unhappy i was restless you know i couldn't enjoy the calm why couldn't i enjoy the calm because i wasn't happy things don't make you happy things don't make you happy they don't bring contentment contentment comes from within yourself contentment comes from within yourself with yourself so i wasn't happy with myself and i thought that i would find it like by i thought it was always right around the corner if i just do this if i just buy this if i just make this change in my life if i just go and do this thing then i will find it you see you see that restlessness is a telltale sign that a person is not happy even if they think they are restlessness number four irritable seems to be your default mood so think about walking around with a toothache that nobody knows about and the natural way that you'd interact with others given the uncomfortableness of the toothache telltale sign that you're not happy content people aren't walking around irritable all the time if you catch yourself walking around irritable all the time just like depression that's another time where you have to stop and say why why am i irritable what thoughts am i playing into that are contributing to this remember we have control over our thoughts i cannot overemphasize that that can never be overemphasized you have full control over your thoughts but not only that you have full control over what over how you choose to think about a thing right so i can look outside and i know boy it's a rainy day <sighs> gosh that's depressing boy it makes me think of death it makes me think of all these the uh even seasons right and it's winter it makes me think of growing old like the winter of my my life and all the things I haven't accomplished, never accomplished, never will accomplish. 
do you see how you're choosing there not only what you're going to think about but how you're going to think about it now let's talk for a second about how you think about a thing is there anything inherently depressing about the rain no there's nothing innately or inherently depressing about rain it all depends on how you choose to look at it when you think about playing in the rain as a kid splashing around in the mud puddles when you think about how it supplies the earth with everything it needs how beautiful it is to sit by a window on a gray dreary day with a cup of hot tea and a good book or in a starbucks and to be sitting right by the window with the rain drizzling down the window you see that's what i'm talking about about how you choose to think about a thing you can choose to think about it in a depressing dreary um, sad way but it's your choice um, like I say there's nothing innately depressing about rain we assign it that by choice but we can just as well assign the rain positive thoughts and neither one of them is right neither one of them is wrong it's just that one is constructive and positive and the other one is negative and destructive in most cases you know um, I'll never forget when my grandpa died my mom's dad uh, Rutt the man I'm partly named after the day of his funeral and his wake was the most glorious day I fall day I think I've ever experienced beautiful blue skies all the leaves oranges and reds and all different colors of the rainbow blue I remember being out in the cemetery on that beautiful fall day and thinking how odd it is to be having a funeral to be watching them lower my grandpa into the ground on such a beautiful day but is there anything odd about that at all there's nothing odd about that at all it's not like people only die on rainy days or that rain rainy gray days inherently signifies or represents death you know what else signifies and represents death sunny gorgeous blue days in the fall that's something to think about the emotional sides of us associate colors with feelings and you know we we associate like rainy days with with certain feelings and blue beautiful days with certain feelings but they're not in inherently linked we, we assign them that we imagine we imagine that within ourselves we connect the two things when there is no connection there is no connection between rainy days and death any more so than there is between snowy days and death or beautiful blue days uh, on the beach and death you know in the tropics there is no inherent relationship between those things pay attention to how you're choosing to think about things and and um, choose to think about different things or if you don't want to think about different things think about choose to think about the same things 
in a different way. You have that power. The number five sign that you're not really happy even if you think you are. You're rarely on time for things. I'm not talking about just being late from time to time. I'm saying it's a it's a natural aspect of, of your style of living at the time. When that's ha- when that's true, you're not happy. We can have a whole big discussion about why. But maybe that could be your homework. Sit around and say, why is a person who's never on time? Well, I shouldn't say never on time. Why is a person who is infrequently on time for things not really happy even if they think they are? It's not just a matter of of, uh, being responsible or not. Number six, there is more friction and disharmony among you and your friends or family members than there is harmony and peace. Number seven, you're a compulsive spender or you're bad with managing money. Your credit is in shambles, not because of poverty, but rather for reasons you could have avoided. You're not happy even if you think you are. Number eight, a large part of your choices in life are made with an image in mind. Ah, it's a good one. In other words, a large part of your choices in life are made to appeal to or impress other observers. That's a huge one. The clothes you purchase and wear. The girlfriend or boyfriend you decide to get into a relationship with and allow to be public knowledge. The social activities you seek out. The friends you allow others to associate you with or that you do not allow others to associate you with. You know, so how many friendship possibilities have you passed up on because you say, well, doesn't that person doesn't match my image, the image I want to project. I did that in the past, and I, it's something I truly regret. You know, I, I went through a period of desperately wanting to fit in to a certain crowd, and... Uh, I regret that. How about this one? The image of yourself, your friends, or your family that you display on social media is meant to present an image of happiness and idyllic life that does not reflect the reality you deal with behind closed doors every single day. Number 10. Your children are generally misbehaved, loud, and unruly. You're not happy. Number 11, your children are unusually shy, quiet, fearful, and withdrawn. You're not really happy. Number 12, you have no organized routines in place in your life. Everything's chaotic and sort of done off the cuff. For example, you don't have regular times when you eat, and when you do eat, you regularly make it up on the spot without any plan or forethought. You you ain't happy. Number 13, You frequently have feuds going on between you and other people. You ain't happy, even if you think you are. When someone angers you, you cut off contact, waiting for them, them, to initiate an apology, rather than you yourself initiating contact, to calmly explain to them that they've upset you, and why you found it so upsetting. 
when you give people this cold, silent treatment, you're determined to carry it on for years or until the end of time, as long as that other person doesn't come to you to make it right. You ain't happy, even if you think you are. Number 15, you listen to a lot of angry music with angry messaging. You're not happy, even if you think you are. Number 16, you spend more time thinking about what other people are doing, should be doing, or should not be doing, than you spend time looking at yourself, trying to fairly identify your own flaws and correct your own flaws if correctable. If that's true, you ain't happy. Number 17, you don't easily pause to consider context in any situation. For example, if somebody you know or a celebrity does or says something that you disagree with, you're quick to feverishly condemn them completely without ever taking time out to remember when you yourself have said things that you later regretted or how your very own opinions on various things have evolved over time and continue to evolve or how many people have disagreed with your views and opinions but that at least respectfully heard you out treated you with respect even though they disagreed with you and they allowed for your right to have those opinions um, <clears throat> just the other day I saw Elon Musk on Twitter somebody was going after uh, somebody that he has kept on the Twitter you know he just bought Twitter and um, so he, he fired a lot of Twitter staff but he did not fire some of the Twitter staff and he even promoted them and um, and they've been serving in important aspects of work there at Twitter. And uh, there was a certain group of people who were just going after one of the people that he allowed to remain, saying, oh, you know, this guy, look at him, showing tweets from this guy's past and everything like that. And, of course, the tweets from the guy who uh, Elon Musk is allowed to stay there at Twitter they reflected a certain uh, leaning, let's say, a very, very strongly reflected certain political ideologies that the folks complaining did not agree with or like. And uh, Elon Musk made a tweet. He said, you know, all of us, all of us, tweet things that show our ignorance or make a, or that we later regret or um, that upset people. He said some of us do that more than, than others. But uh, I don't remember what the rest of the tweet was, but yeah, that was the message. Basically, it was like, yeah, yeah, the, the guy has said some pretty stupid things. But I've said some stupid things too on Twitter. And so have you, and so have we all. And, but he said, I, I trust the guy's abilities. I, I know his intentions for the work I need done is right. So it doesn't really matter if I agree with him politically, if I agree with him on this or that. He's here to serve a purpose. He's here to do a job. And in that job, I trust him 100%. 
But I'll never forget that. That said to me, Musk must be a pretty happy guy. He must be pretty happy. If he's able to put a thing like stupid tweets into context like that and even admit, I've said a lot, I've done a lot of stupid tweeting in my life too. We all have. But that doesn't diminish the person's ability to do their job. I really admired that. I really admired that. Um, let's see here. Number 18. You're secretly harsh and critical of yourself. And because of this, you're also harsh and critical of others. You ain't happy, even if you think you are. Number 19. Although, you secret, or, although you're secretly harsh and critical of yourself, you'd, you would never allow those around you to know it. Because it would contradict the illusion you've created of yourself to observers. You're driven by a secret fear of allowing others to perceive your insecurities or your vulnerabilities. And number 20, your tendency is to try to control your environment. That's a big one. What makes up your environment? Other people, like your children, expecting them to behave or answer in pre-scripted ways that you have in mind. What other things make up your environment? World events, the weather, the way certain things play out different than you envision them. So this is just a list that I had pulled down, uh, sat down and pulled off the top of my head couple years back I think and still good still golden I hope it uh, gives you some things to think about and uh, I had a story to tell you about Tippy my old dog Tippy and uh, that's just gonna have to wait but my goodness that's a, uh, a fantastic campfire story I'm looking forward to telling you all about Tippy perhaps in the next episode of this show so ladies and gentlemen I hope you have a wonderful weekend take care of yourselves uh, interact with us there on our online community on locals especially if you're feeling down this time of the season and uh, allow the members of the community to allow them in allow them in to know what's going on allow them to offer their insights and their thoughts they might be able to encourage you in ways that uh that I can't remember I'm just one person and so I've only got usually one take on things whereas it's always astonishing to me how members of our community they'll look at something somebody uh, is expressing and they say you know it makes me think about this and I go wow that's brilliant it's beautiful and brilliant I would not have come up with that so um you know the the last symptom community online community is really meant to be a a wonderful complement to the work I do. It's supposed to provide what I you know as just one person I could never provide on my own. It's the whole reason I created it. It's the whole reason I foster it and I spend time on it and I invest in it. That I invest in in all of you. You're all very very important to me. Um, not just for the financial reasons, you know, that support the ongoing work here, 
it's much bigger than that. Um, you know, we I think we've created something together with the last symptom that I could have never, never foresaw, foreseen, foresaw. And it just it's something I'm very proud of. But um, I'm I couldn't do it on my own. Uh, it's it's the it's the whole community, the whole last symptom community, of which I make up a very small part. So do something nice for yourselves this weekend. It doesn't have to be elaborate, but do it. And uh, join us there on locals. Interact with us. Stay stay active with us. We've got such good people there. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for uh, tuning in. I'll catch you next week. Thank you.